This episode is not suitable for children. Hello, and welcome back to Curious Medicine. I'm Christy. And I'm Brandy. Today, I have my good friend Brandy, who is filling in for Brian. Brandy, why don't you have the honor of telling our listeners what our topic is today? Why, thank you, Christy. Our topic today is going to be rectal form bodies. (laughs) It's going to be a good one. I hope so. But before we get started, Christy and I just want to make a disclaimer that in no way are we focusing on a specific lifestyle or gender because in our research and experience, the rectal form body situation does not discriminate. Right. Exactly. Okay. Let's start by talking about the definition of a foreign body. So if you were to Google the definition of a foreign body, a simple definition is an object or piece of extraneous material that has entered the body by accident or by design. But today we are going to focus on rectal foreign bodies. Uh, You may be asking yourself, how common are rectal foreign bodies? Some articles say that they are rare and others say that they are common. The actual incidence is unknown. But I'm sure it's uh, underreported. Yeah. There were a lot of articles. There was no shortage of of, uh, case studies on this topic, that's for sure. And, you know, I even texted you when we started doing this research and I said we could do a whole podcast, not just an episode, a whole podcast on rectal foreign body case studies (laughs) yeah i came across quite a few uh, interesting cases and myself yeah just hundreds of them you told us about the fact that rectal foreign bodies do not discriminate talk to us about the demographics well from what i found there's kind of a mean age of the mid 40s but of course all ages are involved I saw some cases of even up to 90 years old and the unfortunate cases of younger ones that were not necessarily self-inflicted. Yeah. There is a predominance in males, but there's not a big difference. More men than women. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I also found that race and ethnicity is not usually reported. So even when someone reports their rectal foreign body, they don't. If they re- that yeah, that's not a, a, kind of a demographic that they keep up with, and then also sexual identity is not usually reported, but enough so that this is not unique to any specific sexual orientation, like you said at the beginning. Right. None none of the cases that I found even made the slightest reference to that. It was either male or female, and then. I, I just also wanted to say that any person of almost any age, especially puberty and older, of any sexual orientation, sane or otherwise, could potentially find himself or herself with a rectal foreign body. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Christy, why don't you uh, tell us some of the reasons or causes someone might end up with a rectal foreign body and go into the emergency room. Okay. Um, or just end up with one and stay home. <laughs> That's true. If they're successful at uh, extraction, yeah. then they'll stay or home. Or even if they're not successful, they just stay home and then they just keep waiting, thinking that it's going to expel itself. But okay, reasons and causes that someone might find themselves with a rectal foreign body. I'm just going to list these. This is in no specific order, by the way. Self-mutilation, accidental ingestion, intentional insertion, 
such as risk-taking behavior in adolescence. Alcohol intoxication. So I have a little story about this. Acts are often associated with drunkenness. This, this story, by the way, comes from a book, a textbook um, about surgery and, and foreign body uh, treatment and re- retrieval and things like that from 1880. This story says, a 44-year-old man who went to the hospital on July 23rd, 1874, giving evasive and vague replies regarding the reason he was there. He reported intermittent violent pain in the abdomen and thought it was due to constipation. After being given emetics, of which produced no bowel movement, and even more frequent and severe pain, the man finally admitted that six days prior, he made a bet with his friends that he could swallow, get ready for it, 69 raw snails. Oh, nasty. Including the shells. (laughs) Wait, 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 wait. And now he believed he could feel them near the end of his rectum. Upon exam, the snails could be felt, quote, swimming and clashing against one another in a liquid mass, unquote. I want to throw up right now. Chloroform was administered and the rectal pouch was emptied of 45 snails. Later in the evening, an additional 25 snails were removed. (laughs) The, The perfect condition of the snails renders it very probable that they were introduced into the anus, contrary to the statement of the patient. (laughs) Interesting. It sounded like he met his mark, though. Right? 45 and 25? Yeah, but he didn't swallow them, Brandy. Well, he stuck one more than he... Mm. He bet his buddy, so I hope he won something really good. (laughs) There probably wasn't even a bet. Okay. Um, Keep going with the list. Autoeroticism or sexual arousal. And also from this textbook, it says, quote, lust is the most frequent of all the causes which lead to the introduction of foreign bodies into the rectum. It is to be remarked that old men are most often the victims of such accidents, unquote. (laughs) Remember, this is from 1880, y'all. Okay, going on. Experimentation, trauma, accidental. Although extremely rare, accidents leading to penetration of the anus with a foreign body have and do occur, such as the story of the sailor who fell from a mast upon some pieces of wood, fragments of which entered through the anus, even into the bladder. Ouch. I know. Every time I walk by an open sharps container, like I, I don't imagine falling and having a rectal foreign body, but I do imagine falling in with my hand out, you know, to catch myself. And I just imagine falling into those. Mm. Anyway. Okay. Moving on. Trauma, uh, deliberate or such as assault. Uh, you know, was that a guy ever accused of just having a stick up his ass? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Just, you know, I just thought That's I'd a ask. Good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt your list. What's, it just what's came wrong to me. with you? You act like you have a stick up your ass. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> Maybe yes. that's where well, that know. came from. Okay. Psychiatric diseases, such as factitious disorder. Brandy, do you know what factitious disorder is? No, Christy. Factitious disorder is deceiving others by faking illness or illness by self-injury. Psychiatric diseases, such as malingering which means exaggerate or feign illness to escape duty or work. 
And then psychiatric diseases such as cognitive disorders, which are disorders affecting learning, memory, perception, problem solving, etc. Okay, that's not all. Concealment, such as prisoners or drug mules. Mm-hmm. Quote, accidental, unquote. <laughs> just yeah. very vague. It was an accident. I don't know what happened. I just woke up this way. Also, other reasons to alleviate constipation and also medicine men or quacks back in the day. Um, maybe they or today that you or today. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And then there's another one. And I'm going to try to say this, but it is a very long word. And again, I wish Brian were here to try to pronounce this because he loves to pronounce him some words. This one's for you, Brian. This one's for you, Brian. It's called polyembolocoilomania. Polyembolocoilomania. It's insertion of a foreign body into one or more orifices. And it's classified as paraphilia if it's done for sexual pleasure. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I thought you were going to say, okay, here it goes. Mm -hmm. Raphanidosis. Oh, that might be the same thing. Maybe it's one and the same. I think it's one and the same. As a form of punishment? Oh, no. No, 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 no. No. I'm thinking of something else. Okay, tell, talk, talk to me. So one of, one of the reasons that I found mm-hmm. was an ancient Greece one. I know that was kind of your spectrum, but this was punishment for men and women, too, that would commit adultery back mm-hmm. in the ancient Greece, where they would peel a radish mm-hmm insert it into the rectum as a form of punishment. Mm-hmm. I can only imagine how that would feel because I know when you eat them, especially you get some really <laughs> hot ones, man, they burn. Like oh, a, are radishes hot? They can be. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes. I, have, I tried a radish when I was very, very little at my grandma's and I didn't like it and I never ate, tried to eat one again. So I did not know that they're hot. Yes. Oh, they can be very fascinating. hot. Especially like if you get one in a salad, they're, they, yeah. they're, they're good. Maybe I should try eating a radish again. You can try one. Huh? But that's what uh, some of form of punishment was that I found. And uh, yeah, and, I'm going to try yeah, that again. And when I read about, I read about that as well. And I read that, yeah, it was not only was was it a form of punishment, but it was part of the punishment was the humiliation of the whole thing because they did this out like in the public square. Can you imagine like I mean it's bad enough if you, you know, if you are an adulterer and then you get caught and then just having, you know, your your people know, but then to be you know, humiliated in such a, such a way in the town square. I mean, that's, that's yeah. pretty, that's pretty serious. How long do you think their flatulence smelled like a radish? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. These things come to mind. I, I just, know. I know. That's why I love researching this stuff. Cause man, you get out down all these thought rabbit holes, don't you? Yes, for sure. All right. What else did you find? Anything else? Oh, I also heard that when they when they peeled these radishes and they would sometimes 
covered them with hot ashes before they inserted them to the rectum. Did you know about that? Uh, I didn't see that part of it. Or maybe I just stopped reading because that, <laughs> when it got to the radish part, seems, I'm like, holy moly, those things are hot. It seems like even without the hot ashes that that's humiliation and painful enough. Yeah, I think so. Um, I don't know. I don't know why the hot ashes, but yeah, I read that in more than one place. Well, I have two more. Execution by impalement. In 1772 BC in Babylon, King Hammurabi, which we've talked about the Code of Hammurabi on other episodes, King Hammurabi ordered a woman be executed in this way for killing her husband. So basically what they would do is they would have this long almost like a flagpole, like skinny flagpole kind of a thing. They would sit you on top of it and the weight of your body would, would pierce, pierce your through rectum and then just keep going because there was, you know, you were up, up in the air. Interesting. And they would do this also in the town square. Wow. That mm-hmm. would be one time you wouldn't want to be fat. <laughs> Right. Well, there's a lot of times I don't want to be fat. Well, that's that true. would be one of them. And then also in uh, 1915 to 1923 in Armenia, the Ottoman government used this technique during the Armenian genocide. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah, people are sick. I know. And then also one last reason or cause to stop intractable diarrhea. That I did come across. Yes. I mean. Put a plug in it. I mean. I've had diarrhea. Well, I guess I haven't had intractable diarrhea. I don't know. I can't imagine. Well, <laughs> I don't know. I know you're wavering too much here. Maybe you should just continue with something else because you might. Uh, yeah, I might reveal too much personal stuff. That's right. Okay. Brandy, talk to us about symptoms. Now, when a person has a rectal foreign body that they could not extract themselves at home. So they could not perform a self-extraction. <laughs> a self-extraction. What kind of symptoms do you suppose these patients present with? The issue with rectal form bodies is that the symptoms are pretty vague. Mm-hmm. Of course, anybody in the medical field probably realizes that the word pain is an excuse for everything. Yeah. And... The symptoms of rectal form bodies is just a generalized abdominal pain, nausea, vomiting, uh, fever, uh, their belly's tender to the touch. Um, rectal bleeding might be more of a, a key factor in determining its actual form body and then constipation. Those are the primaries, but they're all very vague. So what I also found is that when the doctors are taking the histories, they want to be really careful when they're taking their histories, especially when these things are starting to kind of progress in their their conversation and their reason for being there starts making the physician think that, okay, maybe this isn't just like a general gastritis or yeah. something, <laughs> you know, that there's a little more to the story, but it's they're like, not... I don't think this... I don't yeah. think 12A has gastritis. That's right. So... <laughs> They're, they're supposed to do this in a non-judgmental way. Right. So. Right. Yeah, you have to you have to have a rapport with your patient and, and make 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 them understand that you're a safe 
person to talk to you about this. Well, so some of the symptoms that I came across in my research say that the number one symptom is anal or rectal pain, especially increased when trying to defecate. And also, and so here's some others, obstipation, which is like complete obstruction, so no gas or feces can pass. Um, Inability to urinate, anal incontinence, diarrhea, I think you might have already said diarrhea, marked constriction of sphincters. Incapresis which is where you only get liquids and not solids out. Oh, yeah. Loss of appetite, inability to sleep, desire to defecate, anal edema, cardiovascular collapse in the case of like a drug mule where the, pe- where the packets rupture, and then also sepsis in the case of perforation, you would have hypotension, tachycardia, and peritoneal irritation. Yes. I did read some of those too. Next, we're going to talk about how does one diagnose a rectal foreign body? So I would like the listeners to know that they are going to hear from both of us on this topic because the way that they diagnosed these back in the day, you know, in the medieval times and a little bit forward until maybe 120 years ago or so, that was very different than the way they diagnose them currently. So... I will describe the way that my textbook talked about how to diagnose. Also, the textbook that I took this information from was called The Treatise on Foreign Bodies and Surgical Practice, which was published in 1880. There were three elements in diagnosis. Number one, previous history, which you just talked on. It says, try all means possible to obtain. If the patient can't or won't give information, ask about diet, previous meals, constipation. So just basically loosen them up, so to speak, (laughs) pun intended, (laughs) and get them talking. Listen patiently to them, remembering that shame often prevents them from confessing. Clear the room of all other people to promote trust. If a foreign body was introduced, Ask the patient to show us a similar object so we can know how to plan for the extraction. Now, based on that, Brandy, do you want to talk about getting the patient's history? Do you want to add anything about what they do, current practice, or things that you found in your research? Well, before I do, can I ask one question? Sure. If you ask the patient to show you something similar, (laughs) are they going to bring out a box of priors and say, can you choose from I, anything in this box from our prior patients? Right. I, I don't know. It's just, just I know. a question. I, I thought it was weird that the textbook said that. Uh, but this was written in 1880. So I included it on purpose right. because it's weird. It is. So besides patient history, there are two other, two other subtopics. And that would be subjective symptoms. Those symptoms first presented to the surgeon which may easily lead to error because they are common to many other afflictions, which is what you talked about earlier. And the only localized symptom that is extremely valuable is pain when going to stool. So if the pain is piercing and situated deep within, you should have a high suspicion of a foreign body. Always, always, always perform rectal touch when constipation has persisted for several days. Do not trust symptoms occurring in the vicinity, i.e. urinary disorders, because they may deceive more often than they serve us. 
And we get to number three, which are the objective and palpable signs. Feel the foreign body either with the finger via rectal touch or with instruments when the finger is too short. (laughs) (laughs) Rectal touch provides the following information. Presence or absence of foreign body in the rectal pouch. Presence of feces in the rectal pouch. A matter which is not immaterial in case of obstruction. Form or shape of the foreign body when one does exist. Nothing can replace the finger in this respect, says our textbook. Precise situation of foreign body. The connections and relations of the rectum with the foreign body. When you're doing this, assess for perforation of the mucous membrane by foreign body and situation of foreign body in some irregular fold or blind excavation of the organ or above the stricture. If the foreign body is no longer in the rectum but has passed into surrounding tissues, digital exploration by giving rise to a sharp pain will put us on track of the diagnosis. In other words, we will know why it is stuck. <laughs> this is all this is all from that textbook. Yeah, that's that's pretty extensive. Compared yeah, I'm not to, done yet. <laughs> oh, sorry. Okay, let me hold on for a minute. I'm sorry. If a digital exam is negative for palpable rectal foreign body, but rectal foreign body is still suspected, wait for it. Explore the rectum with the aid of a speculum along with instruments long enough to reach higher to the rectal foreign body. Even in the simplest of cases, the use of the speculum, if tolerated, as does not always happen, is very advantageous. Which is ironic. (laughs) Palpation, along with exploration in the rectum, is not always possible due to extreme pain. Palpation is especially necessary when a large foreign body has been introduced into the rectum. It enables us to discover exact position of the foreign body to understand their sometimes very peculiar course. And it guides us in the choice of proper treatment. They took a lot longer to figure that out (laughs) back in the day than they would today. Yeah. Yeah. They just had to give it the five finger test. That's right. (laughs) Today, really all they do, if they have any kind of suspicion or even if they don't, is they send them to x-ray. Yeah. <laughs> they get it they get a picture of their belly. If they don't see it on that, then not that it's not there, but that's that's kind of their beginning assessment. Yeah. After they've asked a few questions. Yeah. So, that's really the most current standard is to yeah. get an x-ray. We're going to take a quick break and after the break we're going to come back and give you some examples of rectal foreign bodies. So stay tuned. Dun dun dun. <laughs> okay. Brandy. Christy. We are going to start <laughs> listing off some fine examples of rectal foreign bodies. Would you like to start? Sure, why not? Okay, Christy, some of the more common things that I came across as examples of rectal form bodies were bottles or glasses. That seemed to be kind of the biggest percentage of things that they talked about. Food, vegetables, flashlights. Wait, 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 wait. Uh, Do you know which fruits and vegetables? (laughs) 
Um, well, <laughs> or foods. There is a variety, which I'm sure you could. Uh, yeah, no, I want you to list them. <laughs> come, come up with some. I can, I can tell you an example of one at this point in time is uh, of a older man. Um, he had a cucumber removed from his rectum twice. Same cucumber? Not the same <laughs> cucumber. But the second time, I guess he had a parsnip with it as well. So the first cucumber wasn't He's enough. whole salad up there. He did. <laughs> um, but not only did he do that, he was recovering from that and ended up, unfortunately, passing due mm. to a bad case of peritonitis because Ugh, yeah. while he was trying to recover from that, he decided you know, he needed some fruit too. So he had two apples oh, God. that he had put up there before he had completely healed. And unfortunately, the two apples were his demise because it gave him severe peritonitis and he presented late and they couldn't save him. Oh, so very goodness. unfortunate uh, situation there. But there are more fruits and vegetables that I'm sure could be I know. I, utilized. I'm not trying to hijack your part, but I'll just say carrots and bananas were something that came up in mine. Okay, keep going. Um, light bulbs. Okay, explain that one to me. Because it, if, let's play what if. I love to play what if. Yeah, so do my kids. <laughs> I need to play what if with your kids because I have friends and like my mom hates to play what if she used to say when I was growing up, I'm not, I don't play what if. And then my friend, my best friend. Or would you rather? Oh yes, yes, yes. Either of those I'll play. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. My best friend in California, she was like, I don't like to play what if. I love to play what if. Okay. What if I were a kind of person that, you know, got whatever gratification from inserting rectal foreign bodies. Um, If I were such a type of person, I think a light bulb would be the very last thing I would want to risk sticking in my rectum. I mean, I agree. The fragility of a light bulb. Maybe it's the, What's the word I'm trying to come up with? Cam lights? No. Well, I, that's definitely a light bulb. But I'm ta- I'm talking more of the, you know, some people get excited about the danger danger part oh, of things. Okay. The risk. The risk it's that's the risk made. Of it. Maybe okay. because a light bulb is something on the fragile side. Yeah. The it's the risk factor that's there. Yeah. I don't know. It's just a guess. Yeah. No, I, I actually, that, that does make sense to me because I even have in my notes, light bulbs help me understand (laughs) (laughs) because that's the one where every time I saw it in my research, I was like, why, why would someone of all the objects, why would someone choose this? I don't, I don't know, but there are a few other objects that I, I question as well. Like, um, Nails. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, what kind of pleasure could one derive from inserting a nail into your rectum? I don't know. They're trying to I be- mean, we know that's not going to be for... Trying to uh, build more character? Intractable diarrhea. 
<laughs> Sports equipment. Like what? Baseballs. <laughs> bat handles. You know. Oh. Um, tennis racket handles. Those are some, a few things that uh, I came across. Hairbrushes. Yeah. The typical things you would think of as sex toys, of course. Yes. Um, one we thing, cannot forget about dildos. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and vibrators. And vibrators. And one thing that I found a lot of, which is billy clubs. Do you know what billy clubs are? Aren't those the things from the cops use? Yes. It's like a... It's, it's like a, a baton. It's like a yeah. They call it a they call it a baton as well, but yeah. a cop's baton. But I found a lot of um, articles or case studies that had the those used as well. Oh, maybe when they dress up in leather and they're like maybe you know they call them to come and have fun or yeah. Um, what are the strippograms? Mm. Maybe they have the cops come. Oh my lord! Yeah, okay. and of course, so um, out of my world. <laughs> yeah, mine too. Broomsticks. Those oh, yeah. are a few. How about you? Okay. Um, I'm just going to list. I have a very extensive list, so I'm just going to list some. Billiard ball. Yes. Pebbles. Pencils. Aerosol cans. Vacuum parts. Flashlights. An eel. <laughs> I saw that one too. Um, soap. You know, the old saying, don't bend over if you drop the soap. Don't drop the soap. That's <laughs> in right. In prison. Mm -hmm. A champagne bottle. Or at the country club. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Rolled tuna can lid. Yeah. Ow. I know. I know. Okay. Salt shaker. Pepper grinder. Pepper box. Do you know what a pepper box is? Yeah. The little boxes that you get crushed rick, cracked pepper in right no this is like from the 1800s or something like 1700s a pepper box was like a wooden almost like a cigar box it, it seemed like the dimensions that they described were actually is more square than rectangle but it made me think of a cigar box oh. and it had a lid and everything <laughs> somebody got one of these stuck Interesting. it was like several it was like you know four by five inches or something okay a lamp chimney. I had to Google that uh, from back in the day because that is a hurricane oil lamp oh, cover. I, I, That's yes. quite large. That is quite large. My goodness. But you know, the pepper box seems worse. Yeah, because it's got sharp edges. Okay. One that I found mm -hmm. was a toothbrush. Oh, yeah. And... This one mm -hmm. claims that he was itching his hemorrhoids. Oh, with the toothbrush. Yeah, and his toothbrush got stuck. I believe that actually, but God, what a, what a thing to have happen. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I almost, I almost quite literally organized my stuff into like dishes and things you might find in the kitchen and <laughs> whatever like that because it's pretty incredible. Is this a reference list for later or something? <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, hmm, I'm out of ideas. Let me just look around. 
Brandy, moving on to we're going to we're going to sprinkle in some of these examples as we go throughout the show, because, well, we want people to, to keep listening. So uh, just keep listening for all of the different examples to come. All right. Rectal foreign bodies have a classification system. And from that textbook from the 1880s that I talked about, they classified them in the following ways. Three, there are three classifications. The first group was large foreign bodies, either fragile or non-fragile. Okay. The, the second group was regular and pointed foreign bodies, which I don't even know exactly what that means, except that I'm very curious as to why they would group regular and pointed ones together, <laughs> because it seems like the opposite of regular would be pointed. That's because they maybe that is <laughs> something more dull as opposed to sharp or rounded as opposed to sharp, pointed, rounded and pointed. Maybe. Okay, maybe because Just the guess. subgroups of those are pointed without a perforation, pointed with a single perforation, or pointed with a double perforation. And then the third group is irregular. And I would just like to know what on earth is left <laughs> to go in that classification if you haven't covered it in the large, fragile, and non-fragile or the regular and pointed foreign bodies. Yeah, I I don't know, <laughs> but uh, have you as you've noticed, there's a lot of I don't knows coming from me in this <laughs> in this podcast. So, yeah, some of this can leave <clears throat> us scratching our heads. So, how were your how were your notes classified? Because you you dealt with the more modern. Now, some of the class the classifications that I found, mm-hmm. um, there's actually three of those as well. Okay. But they group them as voluntary versus involuntary, sexual versus non-sexual, rectally inserted versus ingested. Okay. Those are the three categories that I came across. Uh-huh. Um, and from what I found when you thought of an example of something like trying to like voluntary versus involuntary, I think each time it would, you would have one thing from each one of those classifications. So as, as an example, Mm -hmm. a voluntary, non-sexual, rectally inserted Uh example would be like a suppository. Uh Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Right. Uh Um, So I think Anytime they classified it, it would be one from each section. I see. Okay. That well, that makes sense. And basically, seems like they this there has been an evolution of classification. Very much so. <laughs> I believe so. Bodies since eighteen eighty. Because something else that falls into that category of voluntary, non-sexual, and rectal would be like a thermometer yeah. as well. Yeah. Know, taking a temperature. Yeah. Um, something that would be voluntary, non-sexual, but ingested would be like the camera pills that they use yeah. to um, look at the bowel as it near yeah. intestines or GI system as it goes from start to finish. So I definitely think their classifications have uh, progressed and yes. become better. Better, yes. I don't disagree with you at all on that note. Should we list a few more examples? Sure. How about um, uh, speaking of things, you know, diarrhea, mm-hmm. um, one of the things I came across is a self-treatment for chronic diarrhea. 
Mm -hmm. um, they were, what was the word that you used about uh, plugging, plugging it up? Basically, they used an ear of corn. Oh. To try and stop their chronic diarrhea. That's, that's actually not a bad, <laughs> I mean, it's kind of tapered. It's, it's round. It's, it's round. It's, it's kind of rough. It's going to maybe stay. Mm -hmm. Well, you think, but then yeah. you, then you get yeah. surprised. That's right. Um, hmm. Interesting. Okay. A cardboard tube. I bet at Christmas time, <laughs> there's a plethora of these things available. <clears throat> I, although, or like a it, toilet paper roll. Yeah, but that would collapse. I mean, Maybe, I feel certain if I stuck my my paper towel roll at my, but it would it would just collapse on itself. I would think. Do would think so? But I think some of the ones for gift wrapping and stuff yeah, are probably yeah, a little more sturdy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, th this is one where I found somebody took one of those long cardboard tubes, the little firecracker, and then tossed it in the tube. <gasps> hey, what? You, to you themselves? Know, you know what they said before? Fire in the hole. Oh, my God. <laughs> Did they really? No, oh. I just thought of it. <laughs> you know, so many things we say... <laughs> throughout the day i wonder where they came from and i'm right. like i know and then now you're like this could be that that could this yeah, could contribute this could be where this came from anyway what do you have to offer to okay. this situation Christy? all right how about the rib of a rabbit what a rabbit rib <laughs> now mine mine are mostly from the you know 17 and 1800s, okay? Oh, that's right. People because were, they don't have people paper towel tubes and for, firecrackers. For, yeah, <laughs> people were having to resort to other things, such as rabbit ribs. Okay. And a WTF. Gerbil. What? A rabbit rib. I mean, that's so small. Yeah, I, I don't okay. know. Maybe they were trying to itch their hemorrhoid. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. A gerbil. Yes, it's true, <clears throat> apparently, that... Yes. Yes. You know, many years ago, there was a story, who knows if it was ever true, about a famous actor. Oh, yes. Richard Gere. Richard Gere, yes. yes. That, I guess gerbiling was his thing. Yeah. But I think that is, you know, PETA would get these people. Yeah. I mean, really, because my understanding is they would put the gerbil in a condom. Uh-huh. And then tie it off. Oh, I just thought it was a sandwich baggie. <laughs> And same concept, I guess. Yeah. But then but they're, they're suffocating. They're suffocating they're the poor little gerbil yeah. and they're trying to scratch yeah. their way out. Mm. Poor gerbil. Uh, okay. Quartz rock, glue stick, liquid paper bottle, a drill, power cord, screwdriver, barrette, belt, like a man's belt, mm -hmm. wire hanger, bobby pins, knitting needle, nail polish bottle, dart, a dart. Really? A dart. A that bull goes along with the nail. <laughs> Why? A bullet. A pistol. An actual pistol. The whole I, pistol. I saw that too uh, in form in <laughs> the area where they were talking about concealment. Yeah. <laughs> they, they're going to hide their gun in there. How about crack pipe? A shot glass. 
snuff box, cell phone, computer mouse, cassette tape. <laughs> There's an oldie but goodie, a cassette tape. <laughs> Where did I put that cassette tape from 1980? Yeah. Dentures, eyeglasses, a gavel. Wow. Hemostats. Your list is a lot longer than what Hemostats, I Hemostats, which had been used previously as a roach clip, apparently, according to the story. Mercury thermometer, Christmas lights, clothespin. Mm -hmm. I can go on, but I'm going to wait. Okay. Till the next time we talk about this. All, All right. right. You know, it, it, we've talked a lot about these things being put up there. Yeah. But we haven't talked about how they get them out. <laughs> right. So maybe we should uh, give a little uh, description on how some of these things are removed once they're put up in there. Okay, well, I'll I'll start with the olden days, how they did this in the olden days. Sounds good. Again, this stuff comes from that textbook in 1880. And basically, this said that curative treatment of rectal foreign bodies is extraction. That's the only thing to do is you got to get them out. Right. If they go in and they're stuck, you got to get them out. However, you have to do that. So the method of extraction depends on the circumstances, of course. And this textbook says, quote, thanks to numerous publications, we can rapidly throw a glance over all the very ingenious methods, which we should know, as we may be called upon to use them at any moment, unquote. <laughs> so... <laughs> Even in the uptight Victorian era, which we've talked about numerous times on every episode, I dare say, people were sticking things up their bums and getting them stuck. So these people needed to know how to get them out. This textbook also discussed a few pre-procedural considerations, such as make sure the bladder is empty, make sure the rectum is empty, and the way that they did that was by lukewarm emollient injections. But and there's a foreign body in there, so I it's know. not ever going to be empty. I, right? <laughs> I know. And I'm when they say injections, I'm thinking they just mean an enema. Sounds right. And then it also, they also say, quote, If we have reason to fear an extreme sensitiveness on the part of the patient or anticipate difficult extraction... We should give the patient the benefit of anesthesia, unquote. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If it were me in there with a gerbil <laughs> stuck up my butt, I'm be like, go ahead and just assume that I'm going to be sensitive and give me some of that anesthesia. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> Although the anesthesia I, back then might have killed you before the foreign body. That's but true. My textbook also talked about positioning for extraction. <laughs> it says... The patient is placed on his belly, upon the edge of a bed, legs hanging down, in such a manner as to light up the region as much as possible <laughs> and to facilitate the final manipulations. Or the cystotomy position, which I assume is the lithotomy position. Or the classical position for operations on the rectum. One limb extended in lateral decubitus, the other being flexed forcibly upon the pelvis 
and the buttocks separated by the hands of an assistant. <laughs> and I think they're describing the Sims position. Because say I, that sounds like the Sims position. Yeah, but I like how they include. I wanted to include the buttocks being separated by the hands <laughs> of an assistant. <laughs> I bet they flipped a coin for that job that day. Right? Okay, so I have many different ways of extracting things based on the classifications. Okay. Um, they classified how they took them out. The, no, they, cla- they had different techniques based on the classification of large foreign body that was fragile or non-fragile. Oh, I get it. Based yeah, on yeah. what was yes. based on what was stuck up in there. Okay. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to just try to give you the quick and dirty. Okay. <laughs> so we're not, no here, pun intended. Right. So we're not here all day. But it's a little bit lengthy. Large, fragile foreign bodies. The first rule with these is you try hard not to break the foreign body because you might cause serious hemorrhage or fatal perforation. Simple extraction with the fingers after dilatation. Okay, this is a really good one. So one case report described the insertion of 14 fingers. Now, Brandy. I only have 10 fingers. (laughs) Okay. And last I checked, that's all I had too. So let's just imagine 14 fingers between the two of us inserted into one anal sphincter in order to dilate it. That's pretty crowded down there to try to get all of our hands. That is a little crowded. Um, Before you go on, how about if I give you a little rectal anatomy? Okay. Since we're talking about having 14 fingers down there. I I was curious as we were going through there exactly how big do the doctors say that the rectum can typically expand or you know because some of the objects we've talked about yeah have been Quite. pretty large yeah basically you have the rectum the anal canal and the anus According to what that's I found. That's from top to bottom. That's from top to bottom. You, the rectum, of course, it's all part of the colon, but the rectum is considered more of the colon instead of the anus. Mm-hmm. Um, can be in the vicinity of almost five inches long. Mm-hmm. And they say in its widest diameter is about two and a half inches. Okay. So that's not very big. That's not very big. All things considered, cons- right. all things considered, we've yeah. heard about the right. being put up there. <laughs> right. You know, but the other thing that I heard is basically it can stretch mm-hmm. a little larger than that before it actually starts to like become damaged. Mm-hmm. The anal canal, which comes. After the rectum, which is between the rectum and the anus, they say is about one, one and a half inches long. So I guess if you have almost five inches with the rectum and one and a half inches or so with the anal canal, you got about six and a half inches to work with there. (laughs) And then just a very, very short segment is the actual anus. Uh So that being said... They really do hurt themselves when they insert some of these things. Yeah. Another thing that 
was curious to me is we've heard several times about things getting sucked up into the rectum. Yeah, like a vacuum. Like a vacuum. Mm-hmm. So, that's what I've always heard is that, you know, that's why. It's kind like, of the point of no return. Yes. Like I have always, always heard like, like ever since I started working in medicine at, you know, as not long after high school kind of age, like, like 21 or something years old, actually 19 is when I started going to school. So, I mean, I was very naive and I, I just remember like people laughing about this and saying, do not stick anything up there that doesn't have a rope. (laughs) Exactly. You know, but, but even stuff with a rope can get stuck. Exactly. Is what we're finding out. Makes it a little easier for extraction, but it's still difficult. (laughs) Yeah. But basically the, the must, the musculature of the rectum Mm -hmm. has these like waves that it uses, it works in a wave pattern. So it moves things in one direction. Mm -hmm. And the caliber of the anus, Mm -hmm. as compared to the caliber of the rectum, Mm -hmm. is kind of like you're pushing something through a little tight hole and then all of a sudden it gets to something that it can accommodate and it sucks up in there. Like you're pushing it through a funnel backwards. Right, exactly. Okay. So... But the very strong muscles surrounding the opening or the sphincter and the Mm -hmm. colon, when things are inserted into the anus, the really strong muscles can just kind of suck them up in there. And because these muscles are so strong, they just hold this, the foreign body or whatever item is inserted in there. Uh They also say that that's one way we're able to hold in farts. Oh, Okay. As opposed to them just flowing out whenever the, the the ball of gas comes through. Yeah, yeah, because there's an internal and an external uh, anal sphincter, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. So. So that is one of the reasons, or I guess the primary reasons of how these things or how we've always heard of these things getting sucked up into yeah. the rectum and what also makes it more difficult for them to come out. Yeah. Huh. So interesting. (laughs) Talk about being anal retentive. (laughs) Exactly. You want to hear something else? that's A little funny about being anal retentive. It says that the anus can stretch up to seven inches before it gets permanently damaged. Wow. Okay, that's that's a lot. Now, how anybody ever figured this next part out, I don't know. I don't, but, 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 ha, ha, ha. They say that a raccoon can squeeze into holes as tight as four inches, meaning you could take almost two raccoons up your ass before causing any damage. I don't know that we should have... I think we shouldn't say that on here. People might try to... That's right. Get a twin raccoon. These poor raccoons. Oh, my God. Yeah. (laughs) Why would you even think to even try that? Right. And can you imagine what's going through the raccoon's mind? (laughs) No, I... I have a hard time articulating what's going through my mind right now. 
(laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah. I don't know. I mean. Okay. Um, People do the strangest things. Yes, people do strange things that are different from us. All right. So another, there are several, again, like I said, there were several techniques about how to extract large, fragile foreign bodies. The next one is extraction with forceps. Ordinary, whatever that means, or even obstetric is what our textbook says. The author recommends using the smallest forceps possible to get the job done. Duh. Yeah. (laughs) It says, well-oiled blades are inserted separately with or without an incision in the sphincter. Blades are then articulated. So I guess you take them apart, you insert them separately, and then you put them together um, once they're inserted. It's advised to cover the inner portion of the forceps with linen to protect the rectum in case of rectal foreign body breaking. The author notes, while this is good advice, this may not be practical. But it is interesting that, they, that they're that they thinking about these things. That's right. Try not to cause further damage. Right. One case report described filling a beer glass with plaster and then extracted it safely, which I thought was pretty ingenious. Yes, I heard the same thing, but they use cement. To fill a glass? To fill a glass. And then they put, like if it was a glass that was stuck in the rectum, Uh they put like a spoon up in there and Uh then filled it with cement and let it dry Uh and then used the spoon as a means of pulling it out. Oh, so it's basically the same Same thing. Same thing, yes. Fascinating. And yours was current day. Yes. Yeah. Mine was back back in the day. So that must be that must be a technique. Yeah, I think I would have interesting. I think I'd go with plaster instead of cement. (laughs) If I had a choice. I think I would put something besides a spoon because what if your spoon is slippery? (laughs) (laughs) I would put like an eye like an eye loop, like an eye hook thing. (laughs) You know? Like something where you can Get a get a get really a grip good on grip. It. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So put a carabiner on it yeah. so you can pull it out. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Okay, how about this? Um, extraction using hooks. This usually requires perforation of the foreign body. So you want to use this only in extreme measures as the perforation of the foreign body exposes the patient to greater potential harm. One case report describes, quote, a champagne bottle, which could not be extracted until a month after its insertion by perforating it with an iron wire and then withdrawing it by means of a hook. And it was champagne? A champagne bottle. So it wasn't their wine they were trying to age. No. <laughs> no, this is <laughs> this is champagne. <laughs> uh, okay. Extraction with a hand introduced into the rectum. This seems self-explanatory. And I would like to show you a picture, Brandy, of an x-ray from my book called Stuck Up. A hundred objects inserted and ingested in places they shouldn't be. Brandy, can you describe for the listeners, our wonderful listeners, what you're looking at? What does this x-ray show? So this appears to be an x-ray of a pelvis <laughs> and there is a hand coming from the bottom a full hand yeah. all the way up in there the full hand the so full hand 
they haven't quite reached the tonsils, but <laughs> the full hand is all the way up in there. Yeah. So apparently the story, as the story goes with these people, is that the patient was playing the finger game, which is when a person tries to see how much of their hand they can fit inside someone else, starting with one finger and going from there. I'm going to offer my boyfriend to play that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to say, do you want to play the finger game? (laughs) I mean, except I'm going to be the finger. (laughs) (laughs) We'll have to flip a coin and see who gets to finger who. Uh, Yeah, I wouldn't take that bet even on a 50-50 chance. (laughs) Okay. So, fragmentation of a rectal form body. This is a last resort. One case report describes the surgeon inserting shoe leather between the broken object and the mucous membrane in order to protect the rectal wall, which again, I thought was really a very great idea. Mm -hmm. So that's what I have for large foreign, I mean, large fragile foreign bodies. And then sort of the same stuff with large non-fragile foreign bodies. There's not... I mean, they just talk about extraction with forceps, extraction using a hook. But it does say with the hook, with a non-fragile foreign body, you have to get the hook, you have to advance it high enough to get it beyond the foreign body and then pull it down until you hook it. Um, And so they warn of the risk of perforation with the hook. So you have to be careful of that. Right. Sounds reasonable. Well, it sounds like some of the techniques, they've they've improved on some of the old techniques. Uh-huh. So some of the newer techniques mm-hmm. are similar in the fact that in that same concept, they will use like a Foley catheter, which, you know, that they uh-huh. would put in the bladder. Uh-huh. Same thing where they uh-huh. try insert it up above the object mm-hmm. and inflate the balloon on the Foley catheter and then pull it down. Mm-hmm. Um, so not a hook, but the same pro, same same uh, same idea. same idea, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Okay. Um, so, I would like that better than a hook. Yes, I think so. <laughs> um, there is also something they use um, called a Singstaken Blakemore tube. It's actually used more in the upper GI system, going mm-hmm. through the mouth. They do these to help put. Um, Pressure on varices uh-huh. in the esophagus, uh-huh. um, but it's it's kind of like an extra extra long Foley catheter uh-huh. as far as the the way it's made and uh-huh. the concept of how it works. They but they insert it into the the mouth and down into the esophagus and down into the stomach, and then they insufflate this balloon type thing and they pull up pull uh-huh. tension to put pressure on these varices that are bleeding Uh but they can also use it for getting things out of the rectum but same concept as a Foley catheter Um, I came across the uh, obstetrical forceps as well the vacuum extractor that they'll use sometimes for getting babies out Uh, the one they specifically had in this one was called the Kiwi Omni Cup (laughs) with a palm pump and it looked, what 
Did you just say? Yes. A Kiwi Omni Cup with a palm pump. So Those are words that I would never dream of stringing together. Yeah, I don't know either. So that's the name of the device? That's the name of the device. Okay. Can you and bring me the Kiwi with the palm? Yeah. I mean, imagine being in surgery and you're yeah. hearing this lingo. You'd right, be like, exactly. What? Right. Um, those are for the ones that basically they're going to try and milk out, right? The, the transanally extracted. What do you mean milk out? Like slowly... Stri- pull them out. Okay. Slowly move them. Okay. Move them out. This yeah. is at this the bedside. Was, this right is at the be bedside. Like at the bedside. Or yeah, either in the emergency room or their their first means when they've take some taken somebody to the operating room. Oh, and okay. Before so that, they get too invasive, they try right. the simple stuff. Okay. But if for some reason none of these technique work, techniques work. Um, they talk about even inserting the hand, um, or up to the. Elbow. Yeah. One description said, and I'm up like, to man, the elbow. Yes, and up I'm like, to the elbow. And I'm like, that's more than uh, seven and a half inches from Wait what we second. discussed earlier. Wait a second. So yeah, that was way past the rectum and had someone, to have been into the. If so, but okay, but wait, <laughs> because if someone has stuck their whatever up their bum and it's stuck. And you want me to dare stick my hand up there all the way to the elbow? What's to say my arm isn't going to get stuck? Well, you know, you, the rest of your body's the anchor like the rope. So I guess you would have, you wouldn't have to worry about falling in. But because things, <laughs> people try to get things out themselves. Sometimes they make it worse by, yeah, it, it pushes it farther up in there. Yes, yes, yes. So... If it gets up past the rectum and into the sigmoid, yeah. then th- they need something really even longer. Trouble. So yeah. you're, you're really in trouble. So those those are the transanally means of extraction. And of course, if none of that works or things have gone just too far or they have a perforation, they will do like a laparotomy and actually open the patient up to get those things out. Yeah, my my textbook also talked about like, if you've just tried everything else, then surgery is a last resort. And uh, they would make an incision on the posterior aspect of the rectum, which I thought probably because to stay away from the bladder, I would imagine, and all the all the um, all the things that are anterior to the rectum makes sense. Yes. Probably better, easier access to, I right. guess I'm guessing. Hmm. Interesting. From okay. the rear. So as we promised, we're going to give you some more examples uh, from our research. So here we go. Chopsticks, <laughs> forks, jelly jars, coffee cup, carafe, goblet, Remember, my research is from a long time ago with the goblet. A carafe is huge. Yeah, I know. A knife. A beater from a hand mixer. A spoon. Tweezers. Cobblestone. Stick. Tent stake. Barbie doll. Bronzed baby shoes. Buzz Lightyear toy. Giraffe toy. Deodorant. Nail clippers. Shampoo bottle. And toothbrush. Oh, you already said toothbrush. Yeah. All right. That's um, all I have for... One of the other items I remember 
is a Kong. Do you know what a Kong is? Oh, those are those dog treat toys, right? Those dog toys, yes. <laughs> they, those they rubbery. They put the treat inside and the dog has to chew to get it out. I don't know if the, they actually have, that's what this one's for, but I don't have dogs, so. But this patient had one up in there and, um, you know, claimed that he was playing with his dog and just happened to fall on it. And I guess he was playing with his dog while he was naked because people you know, have a lot I'm, of falling accidents. Yes. You know, I, I heard of a patient that came where I worked one time. It was not my patient, but he said he had a curtain rod stuck up his his room mm. um, and he said that he was hanging curtains in the nude and he fell. And, you know, everybody was like. Oh, I always hang curtains in the nude. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, you find reading these things. That yeah. People do a lot of things in the nude that I would never even consider. Yeah. Like, like also that knife, the knife one. Right. This is what the story was behind that. The guy said, um, a patient once explained that he spent a relaxing day fishing in the ocean. He brought his knife along to cut some bait and clean fish. He then continued the story by saying, I was fishing, and I must have fallen asleep and rolled around on the ground where the knife was. Next thing I knew, I had this knife in me. <laughs> I mean, that's the single dumbest story that an adult yeah. can tell. I mean... <sighs> yeah, it's similar to one I had heard as well. I mean, not... Not a patient that I had done, but I knew it was a patient that had come to the ER. And he was, this is old school because nowadays TVs don't have bulbs in the back of them. Yeah. But he was trying to fix his TV. <laughs> and I guess he was naked again. He didn't have a pocket. Yeah, he didn't have a pocket. or Anyway, but he had the new bulb that he was going to ch change out. On the couch, and he just happened to sit on it accidentally. I mean, you know, I have fallen quite a few times. And I have fallen on various surfaces quite a few times. Maybe never in the nude. But, but, <laughs> I'm just like, I, you know, the whole time they're driving to the emergency room, they're concocting a story. You know they are. Oh, and exactly. you're like, this is the best could come up with i mean sometimes they've even had like two weeks to come up with the story because right. they've been suffering for so long right. but like this is the best story that you can come up with come on yeah it, and i know this is a little off we had talked about techniques of extraction um one other thing that i had noted too is on for metal objects uh -huh. they would use magnets oh oh high-powered magnets oh huh how high powered does that magnet need to be yeah i'm thinking wow. mri power yeah <laughs> you know i mean they put them in front of the mri door and just that's right them over <laughs> that's right we're gonna back you yeah. into this room yeah. and you i just, just want your you legs get in the lithotomy <laughs> position exactly <laughs> And hold Take on. a deep breath. <laughs> hold on. And fire up that scanner. <laughs> oh, oh my god! I bet all the MRI techs out be there like would giving be giving birth. Oh, yeah. Oh my god! I wouldn't know, but you know, hey, I want to know. I want to know about this high-powered magnet. <laughs> Fascinating. Huh. 
Sorry, I know that was out of out of uh, no, no, out of line, good. but that was good when that was worth that was worth it. All right, uh, Brandy, what do you know about complications from inserted rectal foreign bodies? Complications, as we'd mentioned once before, um, about patients getting peritonitis or bad infections or having a perforation. Mm-hmm. These are some of the biggest complications um, because then that involves having to go to surgery yeah. and more intensive yeah. um, means of extraction. Um, and, and the unfortunate gentleman that just couldn't stop himself and uh, ultimately met his demise by having a bad case of peritonitis. The, that's probably one of the biggest things. If the perforations are bad enough, they might have to resect some of the bowel. Yeah. And, you know, death death is the worst thing that yeah. could come from these things. Yeah. Um, I, I, in my research, I read where... Complications may result from the process of insertion. So um, (laughs) that seems pretty self-explanatory. Right. They may result from the process of removal or attempts at removal because sometimes, I'm, you know, 100% people are trying to do this stuff at home before they show up at the doctor. Oh, yeah. They may result from the contents introduced. So... You know, if you stick something sharp up there, like a knife, right, um, that could perforate or cause bleeding, whatever, both perforation, like you said, and then uh, infection, yeah, abscess formation, fistula, fistulas, yes. migration into neighboring organs, obstruction, hemorrhage, poisoning because of absorption of foreign body degraded material. So I guess make sure you <laughs> you you check what your thing is made of before you stick it up there. Right. Do they have and an MSDS on all I these know, things? Right, and also besides the things that you said, invagination. Invagination. Yeah. So when I googled that, it's like it's like it sucks it in, but then it's like into itself, into itself. So it's like it creates a special pocket. Oh, okay. Um. That's what and I was thinking. Really but stuck. Sometimes what I'm thinking always isn't what's it means. Okay, what do you know about prognosis? How Prog- do people fare after having a rectal foreign body extracted? <laughs> Most people fare pretty well, even if they come in a little late. Um, the the cases where they've had severe infections and things like that are actually relatively rare. Mm-hmm. Um, they usually get over their embarrassment in enough time to yeah. go in and have something done. Um, so the prognosis is actually really good. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, my stuff said it just may be influenced by the following characteristics of the foreign body, which is kind of what we just talked about as far as complications, the size of it, the irregularity of it, the roughness, right. <laughs> roughness of it, like that corn cob, right. the number, <laughs> how many did you insert, how long has it been in your rectum, and the fragility of the, of the foreign body. So Brandy, right. uh, going back to playing what if, 
if you had a rectal foreign body, how long would you wait before you sought help? (laughs) Who would you, who would you ask to try to help you get it out first before you (laughs) like, who would be the first person to whom you'd seek help? And then how long would you wait? Oh, my wife for sure would be the first person (laughs) for sure. Yeah. And then and you would tell her right away. Well, or would you try to get it out yourself first? Of course. And I think anybody would try and get it out themselves first. But (laughs) I I would like to think that I wouldn't be doing this alone. (laughs) (laughs) That's just not in my nature. So, um, you know, it it would definitely be something I would would be doing with my wife if this was something I do, which I don't. Let me just emphasize that. I do not. Well, it's okay if you do. <laughs> I'm I'm all for anybody yeah. having fun yeah. in any way they you want. You do you, people. That's do right. You, you do you. Yeah. But this no is judgment. not my thing. No judgment. And But my wife would be the first one. Uh-huh. I trust her ultimately. And then... Okay. I so don't know how long... your wife can't get it out, how long before you give up and go to the doctor or the ER or whatever. Well, knowing what we know now, yeah, I would probably go a lot sooner than I would yeah. later. Yeah. I probably would anyway, because you know, that's, that's just gotta be a horrible feeling. Yeah. I mean, really, it's yeah. gotta be a horribly uncomfortable feeling. Yeah. I mean, if I don't go regularly, yeah. I'm, I'm a crabby bitch. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, you know, you can't eat when you got to poop. No, <laughs> No. So, like, it, you can't. I mean, it's not possible. That's right. I don't feel like it is, but... So, yeah. yeah. Hmm. It wouldn't be very long. Yeah. I, it, I I can't say I would rush out immediately. <laughs> yeah. We may give it a good, valiant effort yeah. another day or two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, would you, like, drink some Go Lightly or something, try to <laughs> push it out from the top? <laughs> hey, that would be one time I might willingly drink yeah. that stuff. Yeah. But, um, uh, yeah. And that's you, when the squatty potty might come And in you, handy. Christy? Who would uh, your first person oof, be? God, I don't know. But I can tell you that whoever helped get me in this fix would be expected to go right along with me. <laughs> <laughs> um, hmm. I, I don't, I, I, I think I'd probably feel pretty comfortable calling you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, as your friend, I would, I would help you in a time of need. I mean, I don't have a lot of friends in or out of medicine that I could say I'd feel pretty comfortable asking, but I mean, I can think of one other person in California that I would call for advice, but he would never, ever (laughs) be willing (laughs) to like physically help me try to extract it. So he'd be like, no, no, no. This is where I draw a line. (laughs) Well, Christy, I got your back. Yeah. Uh Yeah. Uh, Right. No pun intended there. That's right. I've got your bottom. (laughs) That's right. All right. Well, Uh is there anything else before we wrap this up, Brandy? Is there anything? You have any really, really good stories uh, before we go to end this on? I think the one thing that I came across that just made me think WTF 
was um, a story, I guess it talked about a guy that had come into the emergency room. And basically what they had told the doctor is that he and his friend, Mm -hmm. quote friend, decided that he was going to stand on his head while his friend used a funnel to pour cement into his rectum. <laughs> oh, my God. So he was giving him Why? a Why? cement enema. Oh, my God. The unfortunate thing for him is that Of course, it didn't just ooze right back out like it went in. So the cement had actually set up. And of course, the guy was severely obstructed. Right. And they took him to the the operating room right away. And the cement had started like eroding his rectum, the tissues and stuff. So they had to resect his entire rectum and his anus. Oh my God. See, see the consequences. Right, right. They had to take it all out. (laughs) No, thank you. And, and from what I know, you know, resections of the bowel can be like menial. Yeah. Um, they can hook them back up. Right. They have no problems. Right. But when you have to take out the anus right. as well. Yeah. Forget it. You're They done. have to do some Bye-bye. pretty fancy things to keep yeah. that stuff in there. Yeah. And you know that ain't never going to work right again. Exactly. Even if you get it similar. <laughs> exactly. It ain't going to be the same. So they, they resected that. Of course, they took the rest of the tissues off of the concrete that had set up. So they had a nice mold of this guy's rectum and anus. And I I honestly don't know why they decided to x-ray it, mm-hmm. but they did. And there was this hollow section in the middle of the concrete. And I don't know why, again, and maybe just curiosity, they wanted to know what was in the middle of it. So they ended up cutting this nice cast of this guy's rectum <laughs> In half, and there was a ping pong ball in there as well. Oh my god! And I'm like, who on earth would ever think to pour concrete in their bottom? Yeah, I mean, I know we discussed earlier about using it as a means to go inside a jar. Right, right, right. But that's not right. just like blatantly yeah. pouring it into no, your that's, rectum. No, and that's for a different reason. That's to aid with extraction. This right. is this is presumably for pleasure. This, or, this was the foreign body. Is, the cement was the foreign is, body. This is like advanced what if. <laughs> exactly. And, um, you know, I don't know if the guy was, you know, bef- before all this, he had to have been a hard ass. <laughs> but I bet he was humbled afterwards. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Just had to throw that in. Oh. What about you, Christy? What was what was one thing that made you go, hmm, well, when you started looking at this the, stuff? The most interesting one is really the very first one. 
that I can't, I mean, I've had this book stuck up for years. I've had this for a long time. Two, two radiologists or three radiologists wrote this book called stuck up the hundred objects inserted and digested in places they shouldn't be book. And so this has been, you know, great fodder for giggles and stuff at work. But, uh, and when I was teaching for my students, they thought that was pretty clever. Um, but when we decided to do this topic and I started researching the very first article that I came across is a case report titled, and I'm going to give you the full title just in case listeners want to Google this case report, because it really is astonishing survival following rectal impalement through the pelvic abdominal and thoracic cavities, a case report. So apparently this guy, uh, as the story is told reportedly, this is what I love reportedly slipped in his bathtub and fell onto a broomstick. Radiographic examination revealed a slender mass extending from his rectum to the right side of his neck. Wow. Brandy. From his rectum to the right side of his neck. I mean, just look at the distance. Yeah. There, there. And this thing is like sticking out, protruding like... And how tall was he? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, but... This was not an accident. This I don't even think this could be self-inflicted. I think this is someone someone did this to him, actually. Yeah, maybe I, he didn't want to report it for whatever. I don't even know what reason. But it does say that the extracted wooden rod measured 63.5 centimeters in length. Wow. Yeah. He Impressive. survived. I mean, he had injuries, but... Um, but yeah, it, it went through the pelvic abdominal and thoracic cavities all without being a fatal fatal thing. That's impressive. Yeah. I mean, there's so many things in our bodies that that could have, he could have just died on the spot. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. So it's, it's pretty, it's pretty incredible. Well, Christy, I just want to say this has been a unique experience. (laughs) And and I appreciate the invitation to join you on your well, thank you fabulous much. podcast. Thank you very much for for agreeing to co-host with me, and it has been fun. And thank you everyone for listening, and we hope you tune in again next week. <laughs>